So welcome back, everybody. This is episode 12 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Bomani, as always, with a new guest. I'm representing the Scramble, his Instagram page, focusing on NFL news and its variety. I'm going to let him introduce himself, his name, and what his product is like before we get into the topic. So, hello, man. How you doing? Um, introduce yourself to the audience and talk about your IG page. Uh, I'm Gabe Roman, and I run the Scramble, which basically just uh, covers all aspects of the NFL, including the draft. And that's what I'm working on mainly right now. So, Gabe, just talk about when you started this page, the process it goes to to deliver content on a daily basis on IG, and what drives you to want to continue this moving forward? Uh, I started it January of 2020, and I I post now around once a week, but uh, that's just because I'm busy now. Uh, usually I post, like, every day, and I really want to because I plan on having a future in football and maybe in media and i just think that it would be great to have a good resume up speaking on the future of football we're gonna jump right into it with the first topic uh nfl draft combine standouts um we haven't had the luxury of having an nfl draft combine due to the pandemic so we've seen a variety of players continuing today i might add due to various pro days and whatnot and so i just want to ask you off, off rip with the individuals that you feel like stood out at their respective pro days as they prep in their own refined avenues of a combine for the draft? Uh, I prepared a few uh, that I'd like to talk about. The first one, um, he's a guy that I've recently been looking more and more and more into, uh, Quinn Mirnez, the offensive guard from uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. He's 320 pounds. But he ran a 4.86. He had a 1.73 10 yard split, a 7.33 three cone drill, and a 32 inch vert. Every single thing that he did at his pro day amazed me. And he's a guy who's came off with a lot of momentum from his uh, senior bowl performance. If you know, he was a huge standout. Uh, he, he's just been gaining so much traction, and his pro day helped him out a lot. Uh, another guy that I'd like to talk about, another offensive lineman, is Brady Christensen uh, from BYU. He had a 10 four-inch broad, which is an unofficial record for an offensive lineman. So his 34-inch vert and his 30 bench reps just really show his elite strength. Another guy, uh, Josh Imaterbebe. Uh, wide receiver from Illinois. He had a unofficial record 46.5 inch vert. That's just ridiculous. An 11 foot two inch broad and a 448.40. Along with that, he had 24 reps on the bench press. Uh, another wide receiver who set an unofficial record is Jalen Camp, who had 30 bench presses, uh, which is a wide receiver record. Uh, unofficially he also ran a 4.43 and had a 39.5 inch vert and then lastly marco wilson a cornerback from florida he had a 43 inch vert a 4.35 40 yard dash and 26 bench press reps and most of these guys you probably haven't heard of but i made sure that i wrote down their names because 
you know, everybody's going to talk about Jalen Phillips or Justin Fields or Eric Stokes, but they're not going to be talking about these guys, which I think is really important to look into them. So I want to touch base on the first name and the last name. So the first guy that you mentioned, uh, was he an individual? It was this worldwide thing trending on Instagram where um, maybe this potentially could be him, a D2, D3 type talent who was at the Senior Bowl and held his own against some FBS talent. Is that the guy you just mentioned? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. And so do you feel like that Senior Bowl, also his performances at his pro day, you think could potentially catapult him into maybe the early, you know, second, third round type conversation? Because when it comes to offensive linemen in this draft, it's a very deep draft for O-linemen. That's kind of the narrative I've been hearing coming out of various camps. And so do you feel like it could put him in that conversation to go in round two or three moving forward? Absolutely. Uh, right now he's projected to go, I'd say, around the fourth round. But uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who is very well respected, he put him, I think, around 44, his top 50 prospects. And I agree with that. I think he is at least top 60, possibly top 50 for the prospects. I would pick him mid-second easily. So the narrative about Marco Wilson, the guy you mentioned last, he been famously known for throwing the shoe against LSU when the team had a chance to potentially compete for a national championship. And it's a lot of Florida fans that I've seen on the internet that I follow don't regard Marco in the highest light in terms of being a DB that struggled with their scheme changes. His performance is at his pro day. Does it allow teams to maybe look back at his tape or maybe you in particular look back at his tape, understand his shortcomings, but look at it as maybe if we get him in the right system and utilize his athletic abilities he could be potentially a successful db at the next level uh definitely i think that i mean any any issues that you have with him like i think that you need to just like sort of uh take another look at when you have a guy who can have a 43 inch vert while running a 435 like that's just ridiculous for sure for sure you name the guys that stood out for you in the combine and those guys in particular, guys you noted out in, in their specific criteria, were huge touch based on individuals that are highly renowned and decided to give them their props and love. Uh, when you look at them from a standpoint of draft sleepers, I might add, um, which individual, putting the combine to the side, you looked at their tape and you feel like due to their tape alone, they could be a guy that could get drafted maybe in the later rounds, but play pretty well at the next level because of what you saw them consistently be able to do every Saturday in college football? Uh, yeah, I already mentioned Quinn Mirnes. Like I said, I take him in the second round. But aside from him, uh, one guy who I've had my eyes on for a long time, Richie Grant, safety from UCF. I got on the Richie Grant hype train a long time ago, and I've talked to a lot of people, and recently he's been getting more traction along with people. Uh, he just, he has phenomenal instincts. He's so rangy. I just, I think that, he just knows where everything's going to be on the field. Like, he's just so in tune with the game. I think, like, thinking of him as a third-round prospect, which is where he's projected now, is just ridiculous. I think he's a first-round easy. I think he's my safety one. Uh, another guy, um, if you're familiar with Brett Coleman, uh, he has been talking up Jamin Davis, linebacker, for a long time. Uh, and for good reason, Jamin is just absolutely – Again, he's he's so instinct he's so instinctual. He knows where to be. He's great in the run fit, but he's also 
phenomenal in coverage. He's a great coverage linebacker and he's more athletic than people give him credit for. Uh, right now, uh, another guy, Jamar Johnson, cornerback from Indiana. Uh, just one stat to set the stage. He's had 406 coverage snaps last year, zero touchdowns allowed, seven interceptions. So you have a guy who just doesn't let anything past him. He was responsible for Justin Fields' worst game that he's ever had in his career. Uh, and that, that alone should set him as a high pot prospect. I'd say he could easily go in the early second round. And many people don't even regard him as like a fourth round pick. And then lastly, Tamari and Terry, who a wide receiver from FSU. He's struggled immensely last year, but when you look at his tape from previous years, he's just, he's a standout wide receiver. He's very physical. He's not the fastest guy around, but I mean, everything around besides that, he's been phenomenal at. Uh, a few people have nicked him, nicknamed him the second scary Terry, which I think he deserves. He's, he's a freak. I want to touch base on the two Florida guys you delved into, Terry and Grant. I do remember Grant at the Senior Bowl. He held his own and probably was one of the more successful DBs out there in one-on-one drills against receivers. He looked very instinctual, like you said, very productive. And for you to rank him as your top safety in your board means a lot because they don't really have safeties in this draft going particularly high in the first round. And the guys that they have brought up haven't been the likes of Grant. And the narrative on Terry has been because – uh, like you said, Brett Coleman, I also watched him. He was high on Terry, too, and he prioritized the fact that the past year he had wasn't particularly productive because of injury, but the year prior, he beasted out, and he dominated in the Sun Bowl against, um, I think they played Arizona State, maybe, I'm not sure, and he flexed his muscle in that game, just being a vertical threat downfield, just being dynamic with the ball after the catch. He's a tall, rangy guy, credible catch radiuses, make all the contested catches. And that's kind of the mode of a receiver that we're getting moving forward in the football league in NFL is guys that obviously are dynamic in their own name in terms of like speedsters and such as Tyreek Hill. But to have a guy that's, you know, six one two can get vertical, can make the catch contested wise and be dynamic after the catch in a rack perspective means a lot in this league. Absolutely. And so did sleepers, um, we touched based on, Guys, I stood out in the combine, both very important topics. I might add the biggest one that we've had trade-wise has been the Niners. They've moved up this past week to the third spot overall. And for lack of better terms, the speculation is they're going to take a quarterback for sure. And so there's been narratives about will it be Justin Fields? Mac Jones has been a common name that a lot of insiders feel like they're trading up for. You've heard Trey Lance's name dabbled here and there by guys making mock drafts. When you look at the Niners third overall, it's safe to say they are, if healthy, are a quarterback away from being perennial contenders in the NFC. Who should they go to at quarterback? Or if you want to take a wild swing at it, maybe they shouldn't go quarterback. Maybe they could go at another position. What is the most obvious pick for that team to make for them to be successful moving forward? Right now, I think it's Justin Fields, without a doubt. Um, I, I could uh, at least consider taking Trey Lance. I don't think that he has as high potential as Justin Fields, but you know, I would, I would be fine with it. But the one player that I just, I don't understand at all is Mac Jones. I just, I don't get how you could consider taking Mac Jones considering your situation, especially, 
I mean, the 49ers, they're in the toughest division in football. They have to play Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and Matt Stafford six times a year. And you want to draft Mac Jones, who I don't think is going to be better than either of those three. So I think that when you're in the situation that the Niners have with the third overall pick, you have to be swinging for the fences. You have to take the player with the huge arm, the player who runs a 4-4-40, and that's Justin Fields. Justin Fields, I think, could be a top-10 quarterback in two or three years. I don't see that in Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones, Mac Jones is a good player, but right now I see it as him having maybe the sixth-best arm in this class behind Lawrence, Lance, Fields, Wilson, and Mond. Keelan Mond even has a better arm, I'd say. So I don't think that you could take a guy like that in the third, third overall. Yeah, the hype for Mac Jones has been pretty real. I think it's somewhat somebody within, you know, probably not insiders, but, you know, guys that watch the NFL on a daily basis in terms of his performance at his pro day at Alabama. I've heard a lot of uh, comments about he overthrew receivers. He didn't look as sharp in that setting. Um, but I agree with Fields. I think Fields has really got a bad rap this past year. I did think coming into his junior year, he wasn't as highly regarded in my mind. But early on in that shortened season that they had, he played particularly well until he hurt his wrist, which was, I think, the next to last game that they had in the Big Ten. And he wasn't really the same. Now, he performed very well in the college football playoff semifinal, but the wrist kind of affected his timing on some balls. There's been this narrative that he's not a great uh, – he struggles to read defenses because of the Indiana game he had where he held on to the ball really long. But Brett Coleman broke it down a little bit, and Indiana did a lot of exotic looks, threw a lot of things at him where it looked like the right read to make, but then in actuality, it wasn't. And so I do think Fields makes the most sense for the Niners at third overall, mainly because of what Shanahan has as an offense. He wants guys that can be able to get the ball out quick, have some type of dynamicness as a runner. They were all in on Deshaun Watson, and Fields is the guy that's been comp to Watson or Dak Prescott, a guy who I feel like would be great as a short intermediate passer, showcases dynamic ability with his legs, and is an individual you could sit behind for a year. And if he's able to come in next, and when he does come in his second year into the league, he could be very successful for the Niners moving forward. Absolutely. I, I think that, like you said, it would be a great move to sit him for a year. Uh, he's not the best at going through his reads. I mean, that's well known. But again, that's not like a, that's not a determining factor on whether I would draft him or not. He's just such a great athlete such a hard worker and he's just so much better than his competition that I really, I don't see any way that you could justify passing on him just because sometimes he doesn't go through all his reads. And so another quarterback guy I just wanted to name and maybe you can analyze why it's gone that way. The Mac Jones hype has been very immense. Um, He's a guy that played very well last season with Alabama. Obviously he had Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, two of the probably three best receivers in their draft class that will be going in the top 15 for sure. Um, what's the thing that you feel like scouts are highlighting you on that they like the most that you question he can be able to translate to at the next level? Um, I think a lot of people who support Mac uh, very highly, they say that he has his arm is completely NFL ready, which I just, I don't know about that. I mean, I like, I'm not going to say that he's not a good player and that he doesn't have a great arm. But when you compare it to like NFL talent, you see he would probably have a bottom five arm in the league 
the second he steps on, which I don't see how I could take him in the first round with that. Or, like, I might take him in the late first round, but I personally wouldn't take him top 15 or anywhere higher than that. The big thing with Max has been they've comped him a lot to Tom Brady. I think one guy even said he's a more athletic Tom Brady. And so the big thing that Brady had going to him when he came into the league, he split time with Drew Stanton, I feel like, when they were at Michigan. And he showed flashes of brilliance during his stints there. And eventually he became into what he was, basically rolled behind a solid defense. The offense was gradually built around him, and then he was successful. You've centered on the fact that Jones doesn't have a top five, well, has a bottom five arm potentially. Um, is there a way, I'm not saying he could be exactly like Brady, does it ultimately depend on fit for Jones? Because we do know if your name isn't Lawrence or Wilson, you're probably going to sit a year. Do you feel like it's going to ultimately depend on the fit for Jones moving forward because he doesn't have the wild, you know, not wild, but the immense arm talent that all these other QBs have coming into the draft? Yeah, I think that I think that fits very important for Mac Jones. Uh, I have said some bad things about him so far, but I will admit if he goes to a good system, he'll be a good quarterback. I think just like Brady went to Belichick, if Mac goes to Kyle Shanahan, let's say they do take him at three, I think that he'll be a good quarterback. I don't think he'll be quite as good as Justin Fields will be, but I still think he'll be a great quarterback. Now the thing is, is if he goes to a bad system, I don't see him being a good quarterback at all. I don't think that he has the the strengths to be able to carry a team or be the best team player on the team. I don't think he can do that. I have Mac actually going to Denver. And when I made my top 10 mock draft, and the only reason why I have him going to Denver is maybe in Denver's eyes, they feel like they are, which I think is a fair point. They're a quarterback away from being good. And maybe they feel like if they get a guy in Mac Jones, he's, the antithesis of Drew Locke in terms of he's not going to make the erratic decision or the erratic throw. And they feel like he's enough of a buffer to try to see um, what type of ammunition Locke may have and ultimately make it or break here in his rookie contract. But I had Denver going that route because mainly because the moves that they made in the secondary, they got Kyle Fuller. Um, I think they re-signed Kareem Jackson. Um, Their secondary is pretty much set. So I don't see them dabbling into the top two corners that would possibly be on the board. Jones fit in Denver. They have the weapons at receiver and tight end. Would that be an ideal fit for him? Or you're a little bit skeptical about that landing spot because of the old offensive coordinators that may be on different staff in terms of you don't know what type of skill set or scheme that they're going to build around him for him to be successful. Um, I think that it'd be an okay fit. I don't think it'd be the best one, but you know, Denver has an elite tackle. They have a young line, they have very good receivers. Uh, I definitely think that he could be something special in Denver, but I'm just not totally sure. Um, who's their offensive coordinator again? I, I can't remember. can't remember either. It is something uh, I could potentially look up, but yeah. I do know Vangio's their head coach, so I, I know that, but yeah. I, I would prefer him going to a um, more offensive-minded person somebody who is a former quarterback, I would prefer that. But, you know, Denver is not the worst fit. I don't think so. And Trey Lance is another guy I wanted to dabble into at the quarterback spot. He more than likely is going to go top 10. I do feel like uh, if you're a quarterback, you will 
for the most part. Most of the quarterbacks with decisions, maybe Mac Jones, won't make it past Carolina. And so it doesn't seem like a foregone conclusion that Trey Lance is probably going to be a Panther. Huge arm. Um, his footwork is kind of erratic a little bit, but he comes from North Dakota State. They have a history of producing lottery quarterbacks. Carson Wentz was their last product. We've seen how his career has turned out so far. When you look at Lance, is there a difference between him and Wentz as players? And his upside is supremely immense. Do you feel like in a franchise such as the Panthers, he can be able to be successful under Matt Rule? Yeah, I actually I mentioned it a little bit ago. I think that Trey Lance to the Panthers is one of my favorite fits. I think that they have just such good offensive talent and great coaching. I think that it's one of the best spots for Trey Lance to develop. Uh, I think that it's also great because uh, they're keeping Teddy Bridgewater. So that means that he's not going to be playing this year, which I think is one of the most important things for Lance. I wouldn't want him to go to a place where he'd be rushed in. Uh, If he went to Denver, I think that he could potentially be rushed in in the first few weeks, which I would not be a fan of. Good call, good call. And biggest sleepers in the NFL – well, biggest rookie sleepers that you could potentially see once the draft concludes. Last year, we had, I wouldn't call him a sleeper, but Justin Jefferson balled out. Uh, James Robinson is a, is a sleeper. I think he went undrafted. He played particularly well for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jonathan Taylor was top five in rushing. He went in the second round. So which talent that you feel like when they, you know, touch down and play their first NFL down for real in the regular season will make a consistent impact for their team week after week? Um, it's definitely hard to say, uh, for like translating talent, but one guy who I've had my eyes on, uh, Dimitri Felton, uh, running back and slot receiver. Uh, I think that he's just such a versatile player that I think that a lot of people could look over him, but any offensive coordinator who takes him, they could find a ton of roles for him to play in. Uh, I think right now he'd probably go in the third or fourth round. So that's definitely a big sleeper. Sleeper for sure, for sure. To meet you, Felton, I'll make sure to consider him. Now, circumvent back to the top 10 the NFL draft. I listed some potential landing spots for players, but now I want to focus on teams and from a team oriented perspective. I'll name a few teams. Um, two importantly, that are probably thinking about should they go skill position or should they go about refixing their offensive line? And that's the Atlanta Falcons and the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going to focus on the Falcons first. You know, Matt Ryan has had a tough career lately. Last two seasons hasn't played particularly well. And a lot of it has to do with their offensive line struggling. There's been a lot of mock drafts pinpointing them taking Kyle Pitts at tight end, maybe a receiver. A lot of guys had them pinpointed to take a quarterback until the Niners traded up. Do you feel like Atlanta should look towards the future and pick a skill position or try to look at their situation as being they have a talented team, shore up the offensive line, and then from there, start the rebuild from the O-line up instead of at the skill position. Uh, right now, I think that uh, Justin Fields is going to go to San Francisco. So assuming that he's off the board, I don't see a reason to take a quarterback. Uh, so I would definitely go skill position. I'm a huge fan of Penne Sewell. Uh, I think that he could be one of the best lineman to come in the league for a few years uh, another guy Jamar Chase and you might think that that's 
a bit odd considering they already have two great receivers. But he's just such a talented receiver, I think, that you can't really miss taking him then. And then also, I think that it could be a move to trade down, uh, considering how highly coveted the fourth pick is. Uh, I think that they could get a huge return and they could build the future with the picks that they receive. It's a great point. Trade down is a great option. I do have Atlanta taking Panay Sewell. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that their offensive line, they've been trying to rebuild it the past few years in the draft. And it's been a work in progress. So I could see them maybe thinking in their mind, if we protect Ryan better, guys are able to stay requisite healthy. We have a new coaching identity with Arthur Smith coming from Tennessee, where they were very physical up front and that helped them establish a running game. They'd probably beef up their offensive line first and feel like that will coincide in them being successful again with their core still intact, although it's on the decline. But with the Bengals, the obvious answer is tackle, right? But if Panay Sewell isn't there, would it still be a reach for Cincinnati to be like, you know what, we're still going to take Slater from Northwestern. He's rated a lot by a lot of guys at the second best offensive lineman on multiple draft boards. Or do you appease what Joe Burrow's been advocating for for a minute, which is get my best buddy Jamar Chase at receiver? Uh, like you said, Slater, I, I love that pick to Cincinnati considering Sewell's gone. Uh, my, my last mock draft, uh, I mocked uh, Slater going to Cincinnati. And I just, I think that's a great pick. I don't think that you have to worry about reaching when you get such a great player like Slater is, who there's no doubt in my mind that he is a great tackle. He's just so ready for the NFL. Uh, I don't think, I think day one, he'll be a good tackle. Now, as far as Chase, I love him as a player but I just don't see the need for them. They already have T Higgins. They have Tyler Boyd. I don't see any real problems with the receivers. Uh, and considering that you have a rookie quarterback who sat behind the worst line in football last year and took a horrible knee injury, I just think that you have to protect them at all costs. I do. Um, I think Cincinnati saw their franchise flash right before their eyes when Burrow had that horrific injury against the Washington football team. And I think no matter how much he vouches for that, I think Cincinnati is never going to forget that moment and continue realizing they're not going anywhere as an offense until that offensive line is rebuilt. Jonah Williams was taken a couple years ago at left tackle. He's pretty good when he's healthy. You need to fortify other aspects of the offensive line. It can be done through the draft. We've seen Dallas do it the most successful in recent years, and I think that's where Cincinnati probably needs to look at moving forward in terms of building up their offense. Um, Detroit is another team I want to touch base on. They're at an intriguing spot. Don't really see them taking a quarterback since they've basically have advocated to their fan base that Jared Goff is going to be their future for now. So skill position-wise, Kyle Pitts would still be there. They still have some receivers they can dabble in. Do Detroit Does Detroit go offense, or do they contemplate continuing to invest within the defensive side of the football? Last year, they took Jeff Okuda. Is this a spot where Micah Parsons is considered to go and be the first defensive player off the board? Um, I, I wouldn't take Michael Parsons here. Uh, you know, I love him as a player. I don't think he's as good as players say, as people say he, are, he is on the field. Um, but mainly uh, I'm worried about how he is as a person. There's a lot of reports out about how he is off the field. And there's just too many question marks for me picking at the seventh overall. So I would probably go either Pitts or uh, Devonta Smith, who's a great player. 
or Jamar Chase if he's available. Right. Um, I do agree with the Parsons thing. Obviously, his conduct is highly, highly questionable. And then as a player, I've heard a lot of guys, Coleman in particular, talk about how he doesn't do really anything particularly well. Like, he's not a great pass rusher. Um, I don't know if you could play him at the three linebacker spots in a 4-3 because you question can you read defenses. And he's not the most athletic. Now, he had a great pro day where he's 40 was amazing. But if you're looking at Parsons as being the athletical prototype of Isaiah Simmons and expecting those same results, you're in trouble. And even Simmons, who had great measurables, struggled early on in his career with Arizona because he was playing out of position and they didn't really know where he would fit within the confines of your defense. Well, Detroit Pitts seems like the the move. I mean, because historically they've taken tight ends, top 10 overall, like it was nothing in their career. Hawkinson the last few years, and then even farther but beyond that, they took Ebron. And Pitts is, I think, way more dynamic of a talent there. Um, receiver wouldn't be a bad option either because right now their best receiver, I think, on the roster is Tyrell Williams, who is probably on his last leg as he enters his 30s. So I could see Detroit go on the offensive route there. And Denver is another team I want to touch base on, as well as Kyle Pitts. Um, the Broncos, I said Mac Jones is somebody they consider. You don't really look at that as being the ideal fit for the Broncos. Do they go defense here? It seems inevitable. I mean, front seven-wise, do they consider our front seven talent, or do they try to bolster their secondary even more and take a Patrick Sertan or a Fuller? Uh, right now, I'm leaning defense for Denver. I think that their offense is pretty complete, aside from quarterback. But I, I don't really see much talent at quarterback being available when Denver pits. So I would probably go either Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa or maybe Caleb Farley. I like Koromoa in Denver as a fit. I think he's such a rangy linebacker. He can cover all parts of the field, and I think that's great in their system. And also Caleb Farley, I just think he uh, he's an incredible talent. He's possibly the most athletic cornerback since Jalen Ramsey. I, I love him. I think that he'd be great for Denver. Yeah, um, Jeremiah from Notre Dame has been somebody that I've heard people talk about immensely, and I like him a lot. He's the prototypical linebacker in today's game that is physical enough and tough enough to, you know, support the run and then has the athleticism and sideline to sideline flow ability to be dynamic in the pass, you know, coverage system. Denver would be a nice fit. They run a 3-4, and they need their outside backers to be able to cover in space, whether that's make the open field tackle or flow with a flow with a tight end on seam routes or boundary routes down the field. And another thing I want to touch base on is Kyle Pitts. To in your eyes, is he a top 10 talent? And with him, as great as he is, does it come down to fit? Because you don't want to get a guy like Pitts and then there's question marks at the quarterback position. So for the next two to three years, you don't know what he can bring to a table offensively. Or you look at it as he's a top 10 pick, but it may come down to, for his sake, maybe falling outside of the top 10 may reap him bigger rewards because he could go to an offense that's a little bit more structured. I, I definitely think he's a top 10 talent. I think that he's the best tight end that I've seen since O.J. Howard. But it does feel weird calling him a tight end. I see him more as a receiver. Uh, I, I don't know where I'd pick him, to be honest. Uh, my first thought would be Detroit. 
And then after that, the next team that I would consider picking them at is maybe L.A. Right. I just thought of the Chargers as well in my head. Uh, Detroit, a little skeptical because they may look at Hawkinson as their guy, but the Chargers makes the most sense because Hunter Henry is gone. It was a signing I thought they would make in free agency or resign. I might add they didn't. And maybe the Chargers felt like we could improve at that aspect if Pitts falls to us. And while in hindsight, as we've been doing this draft process, it didn't look like he would possibly fall to them because everybody's been raving about how dynamic he is and he's a top 10 talent. But if when you look at how the board is constructed, you know, from picks one to eight, nobody's probably going to entertain a tight end. They're going to entertain quarterbacks or interior linemen or receiver. And then outside of that, teams like Dallas and Denver have so many needs on the defensive side, they wouldn't entertain Pitts' services either. And so now you go to the 11-15 rates, L.A. Chargers could be the most ideal fit. Now, you want to touch base on Pitts, and you question his ability to be a legit tight end at the NFL level. Uh, do you think he is? Like, is he a guy that can be an inline blocker, or do you see him eventually making a transition to where they play him like Denver used to play Shannon Sharp back in the day, where he's a tight end by name, but in essence, he's basically a big bona fide receiver that they operate all over the field. Yeah, I I do have a lot of questions about his blocking ability and being able to play on the line. Uh, that's one of the only reasons why I don't see him as highly as some others do. I don't think he's a top four or five talent. I think he's a very good player, but I see him more as a receiver. And I see him playing maybe like a slot role just off the line. But I don't see him as great of a blocker as to be able to be, you know, like the big tight end that can block in the run game. That's why I think uh, it limits the amount of teams that can take him because you need to be able to realize that he's not going to be able to play on the line. If you want a tight end that's a big guy who can block, then Kyle Pitts probably isn't going to be your guy. I want to touch base on the running backs as well. They haven't been regarded as highly as they've probably been in recent memory. But when we when I do say these two names and Najee Harrison, uh, Travis Etienne, we remember them for being very productive players at the collegiate level because they played at two pretty productive powerhouses in Alabama and Clemson. Harrison, Etienne, in your opinion, how do you see both of those guys translating at the pro level? And obviously they're going to be individuals that will probably be picked later on in the draft. Which team do you feel like if they take him, he'd be productive for the next five to six years? Um, I, I like Najee Harris a lot more than ETN. I see ETN as possibly the running back three in this class. Maybe running back two, depending on how highly you see him. Uh, but Najee right now is the clear-cut number one for me. I like him to Pittsburgh. I think that if Pittsburgh does decide to draft him and not alignment or quarterback, then I think that he could be a phenomenal running back for a few years. Aside from that, I think also I like him to the New York Jets, which a lot of people may question because they would prefer an offensive lineman or cornerback and not a, a running back, which is kind of more a luxury. But I just think that he's such a talented player that I think that he could be great there. He'd get a lot of carries. ETN, uh, I don't really know. He, he definitely is, he needs to have a good fit because he's 
he's a very specific player. He is more of a receiver. I don't see him. I don't see him running as or taking as many carries as Najee can, uh, running up the gut as much. I see him as a, a player in a receiving offense, a more pass-heavy offense. I am interested on who you feel like potentially is rated higher than ETN on your board. But the rate with ETN has been he's an Alvin Kamara type back, which Alvin Kamara in his young career has been productive, but he's had to split carries. Um, but you do focus on the fact that ETN is more of a receiving back. So when you have a comp with Kamara that a lot of people get ETN, what's your worry? Because even in this league that, that he's very specific, he is an individual that kind of fits the modern day role of a back, being able to be productive outside of the backfield as a catcher, as well as a boundary runner. Uh, what's my worry? Yeah. Um, I just, I worry that, you know, he can't take as many carries as a normal bat can. He just, he took a lot of carries in Clemson, but it's different in the NFL. I just don't think that he is like the kind of bruising back that Harris is. And I, I would, I think that it's, that he wouldn't succeed in every single offense. For sure. Um, who's your running back to that you feel like is ahead of ETN? You said in your mind he could be a three or a two, depending on preference. Who do you have ranked ahead of him that you feel like has a higher upside at the pro level than ETN? Uh, one guy who I've looked at a lot is Javante Williams uh, from UNC. He's very athletic. He's he's just a very all-around good running back. Uh, a lot of people, they have him lower, uh, but I just – I, I'm a big fan of him. I think that he's just – he's very good all around. And he can take a lot of carries, I think. The combo Williams has been Nick Chubb. He's the first time I've heard Nick Chubb being compared to any incoming back in a minute. And that means a lot since Chubb has been one of the premier backs in the NFL. With Williams, uh, do you see similarities with Chubb? And do you feel like he could be effective as a pass catcher as well? Um. I don't think that he's quite as like strong as Nick Chubb, but I, I do think that I see similarities, similarities between them. Uh, he's definitely not the best catch, pass catcher, uh, but I think that he can still be good in any role. Uh, if he needs to ca- catch passes, then he can. I don't see much of a problem with it. And the last thing I want to wrap up on before we end this podcast Draft is coming up like we might add, that I just added. We've talked about a plethora of things in the draft. Let's focus on the teams that make the playoffs. And uh, who do you feel like as a playoff team could get the most value for where they're picking at and could be a guy that they can add to your squad and you could pay huge dividends for their prior playoff team continuing postseason success moving forward? Um, I would say that I like where the Ravens are picking, especially because I see them as needing a wide receiver or a guard, and I like the wide receivers, the guards that are available around there. I think that they could potentially get Rashad Bateman, but I I don't think so. I would say that Kadarius Toney or maybe Rondell Moore or Terrace Marshall could be good around that spot. And as far as guard goes, I really like Wyatt Davis and Creed Humphrey. I think that they're two great guards. I think that they could both be pro bowlers. And I just, I like what the, I like the Ravens options that they have. 
Big thing with the Ravens has been, like you said, they needed an elite X receiver for a while. You did list Tony and Rondell Moore, who I do like as versatile, shifty receivers. But Baltimore's kind of drafted two of those guys, similar to those prospects in Hollywood Brown and Duvernay. Do you feel like they might solely prioritize a big ex-prototypical receiver, a 6'2 guy, and by doing that, you may reach to get somebody that probably fits more of a, how do I put it, more of a bigger safety value that your quarterback can throw to in Lamar Jackson? Yeah, I think that that would be a great strategy. Um, I mentioned how they could get Terrace Marshall, who is just a big receiver from LSU, and I think that that's probably the best fit for them schematically. Uh, Assuming that they can't get Rashad Bateman, who I think would probably be gone by, by, um, sorry, by uh, the Bears. I think that the Bears would probably pick Rashad Bateman. But if the Dolphins could get him, then they definitely would. Sure. And with that, staying at episode 12, um, great to have my guest Gabe Roman on here from the Scramble. Before I go, I want him to talk about his product and convince you guys to continue to follow. It's a great page, I might add. It goes in depth on a variety of things and it's a future NFL page on the up and up. It's around 700 followers trying to get to 1K. And he's going to be something to look forward to moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, it's been great. You've been a good host. All right, man. I try. I try with that. See you guys next week. This is episode 12. We'll be back on Independent Intel. All right. Thank you.